Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I am Adam Vasquez, one of the producers here at the Future of Supply Chain. And you're hearing from me and not Santosh because we're going to do something different, a little bit different uh, for this week's episode. Our audience has grown significantly in the past weeks and months since the show has launched. And we're very grateful to all of you who have enjoyed the show and and shared it with your network. Uh, However, Many of you who may be newer to the show may have missed some of our earlier episodes. And um, although we don't pick favorites here, uh, there were definitely some incredibly rich conversations that took place early in the show's history uh, that we don't want our audience to miss out on. So from time to time, we're going to take a week to replay one of our previous episodes and give you all a chance to hear from some of the brilliant um, execs, founders, and investors that we have had the privilege of interviewing. So for this episode, we're going to replay Santosh's conversation with Alan Amling from UPS Ventures. Next week, we'll be back with a fresh interview and hope you will join us again then. Uh, but until then, enjoy this interview with Alan Amling from UPS Ventures. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents. Uh, Great to have you back here. Uh, I have Alan Amling, uh, VP at UPS Ventures here with us. And uh, today we are going to talk about 3D printing and logistics. So uh, great to have you here, Alan. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Alan, you know, uh, I think uh, a lot of our listeners here... um, can uh, read a lot about your, your your thoughts, opinions, and experiences, but nothing can beat the story straight from the source. So, you know, we, we'd love to understand your, your your journey and what you work on and, and focus on at UPS to start. Okay, great, great. Yeah, so um, I've had a, a short career at UPS, 27 years, <laughs> um, and, and, <laughs> and most of that time has been on the kind of the innovation side of the business in, in marketing and new product development and strategy roles um, and uh, did some stints, uh, you know, across different business units within UPS, uh, uh, our distribution unit, the units that runs our service parts logistics, as well as package and international uh, projects. So, you know, it's it's been uh, it's been quite a fun ride because uh, I've been able to have, you know, eight careers within the the same company, and um, you know, and over the years I've always been uh, very focused on on business models and how business models are are changing and how technology is 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 breaking down barriers, and I think one of the you know one of the big challenges. Uh, for uh, established organizations in general is making this leap between the industrial economy and the digital uh, economy. And, 
one of the areas where we we see that is in 3D printing. Um, so 3D printing, you know, most people see it as a manufacturing solution. It's additive manufacturing. I actually view it as a logistics solution. We, I, you know, we, we view it as the fourth modality of logistics. So you've got air, ocean, ground, and now, now digital. And so I, st- I got involved in this back in, uh, in, in 2014 and uh, have been working with a company. We, we're not, UPS is not a, we know all about the logistics of manufacturing and just in time, uh, but we don't know. We're, we're not manufacturers. That's a whole different skill set. So, so we sure. actually used our corporate venture capital fund to invest in a company uh, called Fast Radius. And that was back at the end of 2014. And we've been on quite a journey uh, since then um, exploring, you know, how does this fit into the supply chain? How is it going to uh, affect not just UPS, but all our customers and all our suppliers? And where do we see this uh, uh, going in, you know, in 10 years? Because while it while it's at its infancy right now, you know, t- 10 years ago, the iPhone was only a year old and Amazon was still selling books. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right? So, it's crazy so to think, are, yeah. It is. So, uh, so things are moving quickly and now I'm, uh, and now I'm, I've got uh, broader responsibility with, uh, UPS ventures, which is our corporate venture capital fund where it's, we've had it for 20 years, 20 plus years. And, um, and we're doing more investments like this investment in fast radius into other companies that have new technologies and new business models that we really need to know about and get our, our hands in in order to, to make uh, decisions at the speed that uh, the digital economy demands. So that's, uh, sure. that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, right in the, right in the thick of it. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And, and I, I will say uh, you uh, are one of the most passionate voices, uh, I think, in and around 3D printing, but also making it very approachable and, and understandable. Um, but, you know, to level set the, the knowledge here for our audience, where are we today in 3D printing and, and additive manufacturing? Because there certainly was a lot of buzz around, hey, everybody's going to have a 3D printer in their house. And I'm an early adopter, I like to think, and I don't have one yet, but w- where are there uh, opportunities? What are the businesses or, or the industrial companies using additive manufacturing for today? And where do you expect them to be in maybe three to four years? So we can uh, express that to uh, our, our listeners and, and maybe debunk and cut through some of the noise. Yeah, Santosh, that's, that's uh, it's a great question because there, there was just a tremendous amount of hype around 3D printing. And, um, you know, and at the time there was all this hype, the 3D printing technology was not that great. I mean, it was very limited materials. The quality wasn't there. It was expensive. Um, and the, the time 
it, it took was, was quite long. Um, but the, the key, the thing to key in on is if you just Google additive manufacturing patents, it is, it is really cool to see because what, what happens after those original patents, which, um, you know, I think 3D printing was in, invented back in, I think like 86. Um, so it's been around a long time, but when those original patents started ending, you saw this huge, uh, influx of, uh, smart people and, 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 uh, venture capital funding. And if you look at the patents, it is incredible. You hit around 2012 and the patent starts to just take a steep hockey stick up, uh, in terms of patent applications and, uh, patent approvals also, are, uh, are increasing, but not at the at the same rate as the applications of course but there's just been this explosion of innovation and so what has happened is that um the the barriers around uh cost limited materials uh quality are all beginning to fall and the people that have a legacy mindset about oh i know 3d printing and you know cheap plastic parts and oh gosh they're missing it now because um, while prototypes and non-branded consumer goods, still, when you look at the, the, the market today, which is about, you know, 10 billion globally. So big, but not that big. Um, we expected in 10 years to be at a minimum of, of uh, 100 billion, but the estimates go far north far north as well and uh, and most of that is not going to be in these prototypes and non-branded consumer it's going to be an industrial and that's where mm -hmm. um that's why ups invested in fast radius in the first place is not for prototyping but we saw that the quality and the cost was getting to the point that you can get into industrial and industrial is a completely different animal as you know um, the, um, the rigor that you have to go through to create an industrial product is so much different than a prototype or a model or a non-branded, uh, consumer goods. You have to have very tight, uh, process controls because no matter where that product is, is printed, um, you have to have consistent quality and if you don't have consistent quality all the other stuff doesn't matter um yeah. and so it, it, yeah so it's one of the areas that we've that whole operating system has is where we've really with fast radius spent spent most of our uh most of our our time because um you know when if if someone you know, sends a CAD drawing or even uh, STL file, which is the file a, a printer can can read. Um, depending on how you print that part, kind of what what's called the script. And the way to think of a script is a it's a recipe for how you cook the part. Um, and <laughs> and just like right, and so just like any other recipe, uh, a master chef is 
you know, in a four-star restaurant, it's going to come out perfect every time. Um, but, uh, you know, you give it to someone like me and you're not going to want to eat it. And, and that's the, uh, and, and that's the issue that's happening right now is that there's a lot of people in the 3D printing business. There's a lot of people that can print a prototype. There's very few people today that can get that recipe where it's, it's not like, um, you know, it's, it's actually more like uh, wafer fabrication where, you know, like sure. how Intel, you know, created, they basically created a, a factory and then that exact factory, they stamped out exactly, copy exactly around the world. We see industrial 3D printing to be more similar to that. So, you know, we're seeing marketplaces out there that are that are popping up and people are talking about, okay, well, you know, there's going to come a point where you can just, you know, I'll just upload my design to the cloud and then lowest bidder is going to, is going to get it and, and print it and ship me the good. Well, I think that's true for prototypes. I think it's true for non-branded products. I don't think it's true for a branded um, sporting goods company or an industrial company or a high-tech company or a healthcare company. Sure. Um, you're going to have to go through, um, you know, qualifying yourself as a supplier. You're going to have to go through really uh, detailed, extensive uh, product certification and qualification, any regulatory um, certification. So it's not going to be uh, – and you're going to have to protect the IP, right? That's the other thing that's absolutely critical. So it's not yeah. like you're just going to be throwing this up to the cloud and for industrial and lowest bidder wins. And so but, – but that's what's really exciting. We are at the, we're at the very beginning of the first inning of uh, industrial manufacturing for 3D printing, and, and we're really, really – excited about some of the uh, early results we're seeing. Sure. So I guess a, a, a way to think about it, and, and my friend Ty Finley uh, actually helped me think through this framework, but uh, in effect, you have uh, a lot of the design software, a lot of the design functions. You have the material science uh, that allow a 3D printer to print with a certain type of a material, but then you actually have the the manufacturing equipment itself. And what you're honing in on is the service layer on top of all of this. Um, so uh, similar to the chip companies who do a lot of the chip research and continue to try to get uh, chips to be smaller, faster, higher performing, you're going to have that same dynamic, but when it comes to the the foundry or the manufacturing layer and the service layer, that's where you're you're spending a lot of time thinking about bridging that gap. Is that correct? Basically, between people well, who want to do it and and the people who enable it. Yeah, that that's that's absolutely true. But I would actually move that upstream as well. So okay, um, when you talk about so a lot of the the customers that we're working with. We're actually getting involved with them in the design stage because, uh. um, you know, because I'll, I'll freely admit when, when we started out in, in 2014, I was, I was thinking that, hey, we have over a thousand field stocking locations around the world. 
where customers are storing their critical parts. We know because those parts are in our facilities that most of those parts turn very slowly or not at all. It's a huge inventory carrying cost. Hey, we're going to scan those products and we're going to create digital inventory of those products so they can just print them on demand. Well, the problem with that is it's really hard to make a business case for a product that is already on a current machine that has already been manufactured in a, um, you know, in a, in a traditional way. It's been designed in a traditional way where, um, where you really make the business case is when you're taking advantage of the unique qualities of, of 3D printing. I'm taking, you know, five or 10 parts that were separately manufactured and now I'm creating one, one single 3D printed part or I'm, um, I'm, I'm taking a part that was serving a purpose for aerospace, for example, that was 10 pounds and now it's additively manufactured with equal or better structural properties and now it's three pounds. Um, so, so we're starting to see, and, 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 and not just that, and then just unique design. So one of the things that I didn't really anticipate, I was thinking because of my background about service parts, I wasn't thinking so much about mass personalization uh, and, you know, customized goods. And, um, you know, I think those are the pockets where you're going to see um, a lot of activity. And um, the other thing that I want to put into perspective is we don't think that all manufacturing is going to go to 3D printing anytime in the foreseeable future. If you, if you think of that estimate of, you know, at the low end, a hundred billion in 10 years, or, you know, let's, let's say it's 500 billion. Let's say it's a trillion in 10 years. Um, so way on the high end, ma global manufacturing today is 12 million, 12 trillion. Right. Um, right. So we're not, we're not talking about a wholesale change, but if you look at, E-commerce, I think everyone would agree that e-commerce has been a disruptive force, but it's still only 10% of total retail um, in the U.S. Very good you don't point. have to, yep. right? So um, yep. we absolutely think it's going to, to be a disruptive force. And we, we do think that it's going to change supply chains. It's going to change the relationship between uh, manufacturers and logistics companies because it's, it's a... This is, you're, you're starting to see a merging of manufacturing and logistics with uh, additive manufacturing. So um, we think it's a really interesting place to, um, uh, to, to be in, and we're going to see a tremendous amount of change uh, over the next 10 years for sure. Are, are there certain industries that, that you see uh, capturing this, this benefit uh, where uh, manufacturing and, and supply chain are starting to blur. Uh, I, I know GE has, has printed out a, a, a components for their engines, but are, are, are there similar situations where you see this kind of integration, if you would, um, driven by additive yeah. manufacturing between the manufacturing side and, and the logistics side? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we do see it coming together in virtual inventory. So the, um, 
you know, inventory carrying costs is a huge burden, uh, especially for, for critical parts. So, you know, we're already working with, with companies where we worked with them on the front end to design the part in, in for 3D printing. And um, especially if they're like, not the old model, but if they're changing models, um, uh, you know, creating a, a, a 3D printed part that is never going to go into inventory. That's going to be in virtual inventory and printed printed on demand. So, um, you, you know, you see that with, uh, we're seeing it with industrial, we're seeing it with uh, high-tech companies. Um, the other, the other, the, the two industries that we're probably seeing the most traction in, and you alluded to one is, is aerospace because there's just the the design flexibility that you have with uh, 3D printing is really you can make re- a really really compelling case uh, for aerospace and um, and it, it's also true for for uh, healthcare and uh, uh, medical products where you can take advantage of the uh, you know the unique qualities of being able to uh, to mass customize uh, products that are not a generic fit, but a specific fit to a body because everyone's body is different. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that uh, as well in footwear, right? Where, um, you know, Adidas, Adidas now has that um, kind of 3d printed matrix structure uh, sole that, you know, today is, you know, is it, you know, they're, they're making it in just standard sizes, but, um, starting, um, in 2019, you're going to be able to customize that shoe to not only your foot size, but the sole is, is, is going to be tailored to your weight, your gait, your, uh, how much, uh, pressure you put on one foot, uh, versus the, versus the other. And, um, you know, you start playing this out and, um, you know, today we just, as consumers, we just settle for best fit. We don't even think about it. That's right. Right. (laughs) Um, but, but 10 years from now, kids are, kids are going to be going, wow, you, you bought shoes off the shelf that were kind of fit, but didn't really fit. And, um, and, uh, and it, it it wasn't for the the way you run, really. Why did you do that? Uh, it's going to be right. uh, yeah, it's going to be a much different story. Yeah, um, on 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 that point, um, my wife thought I was crazy, but uh, there's a startup called Adams, and they uh, size shoes to the quarter size, and I thought that was amazing because I have uh, really interesting feet, <laughs> uh, if you would, and. Um, <laughs> I am waiting for when, you know, I can basically get a pair of Adidas that fit me perfectly. Cause what I've come to realize is that I'm actually a quarter size, oddly enough, I'm not a half size. So, uh, on my, with my consumer hat on totally would love to see that and, and embrace it. That's it's closer than you think. Yeah. Uh, I, it, when when that happens, I will send you a picture, uh, rocking my <laughs> cool new Adidas shoes. Uh, do you have a pair yet, or, or, or have you experimented with with any of what they've done so far? No, I've well, I've 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 
spent a lot of time with them. I don't, I don't have a pair yet. I don't, um, but, um, I will be definitely getting a pair, but the, uh, the unique thing is it's a, it's a matrix structure and there's actually 20,000 connections in each, the sole of each shoe that can be customized to the individual. So, you know, I have, I, I'm looking forward to, I have no idea what that's going to feel like, right? Because I'm so used to accepting what's available. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. I, it, it, it might end up being a, a different and maybe uncomfortable fit, but it actually might be much better for us because it's, it's better aligned to our, our, our physical build and, and needs, the needs of our activities. Yeah. Well, it, so the, the, the point, the point that I'm trying to drive home is whether it's, you know, consumer or industrial, um, what is fascinating about this is it's breaking down barriers. And one of the biggest challenges companies are going to have and their engineers and their designers is not learning. It's unlearning. It's, it's forgetting the barriers and the constraints that you were taught before, because this new technology uh, may have released some of those constraints. And, and it's a, uh, and it is the biggest challenge for industrial age companies is if you may see the same problem as someone that really understands the technology, but the solutions are going to be much different based on um, what you know about what is possible and what is not possible. Um, and, and, um, and that's going to be a big difference between the winners and losers over the next 10 years is, is who can, who can best match business model to the technology? Um, because that's where the magic happens. It's not all about the technology um, because the, it, it's that matching of the technology to the, uh, to the, to the business model. And um, you know, the startups and the industrials to get that right are going to be the winners. And, uh, I guess uh, to your point, you know, um, being able to not be beholden to uh, prior habits or the the knowledge we have is that why also it's very important for uh, the the service layer and and the service ecosystem when it comes to additive to also be in at the design level because it sounds like you know you need to design with a a different mindset. Because the actual process of manufacturing is much different than what humans might have been taught and are used to over the last hundred odd years. No, it's additive I, versus subtractive. Is is that right? I no, I think I, I think that's absolutely right. And um, and the um, and the bigger picture is that when that changes, when that whole kind of the, the manufacturing process and what's possible changes the entire ecosystem that supports that is going to change. And, and for mm, us as yeah. a logistics company, that's the bigger picture, right? Because at our core, we store and ship things. Um, and 10 years from now, we're still going to be storing and shipping things. Um, but where we're involved in that process and how 
how far upstream in the manufacturing process uh, we go um, is, you know, is, is being explored right now. Um, this is, it's like any, I, I really think that this is a, is a disruptive innovation and, and it's, it's going to change supply chains. And my, my strong belief um, is that the way to succeed is to make sure you've got your hands in it, that you're not just reading about it, that you're, that you're doing it, that you're getting your, your people involved in, in the transition because there are, there are questions that you don't even know to ask until you're, mm. in, in, until you're in it. That's right. And uh, I, I, I think the, the one point you made there is we're, we're still going to be moving things, right? I, I sometimes have conversation with my friends who say, well, you know, uh, we're just going to print everything. So like what, what happens to shipping? But the, the reality is you're still going to be moving goods and, and, and product or like raw materials, right? Uh, filaments, the, uh, the, the, the powders that are used uh, in the process. But how might that change? What are we moving today uh, that might be shift more, shifted more into raw materials movement? Do you have any perspectives on that, or is that something you think about? Yeah, so so I, I think about that a lot. But I, I would say that, I, again, keep in perspective that, you know, the projection for the total additive manufacturing market is, you know, at the low end, $100 billion. Total today of manufacturing is $12 trillion. So, um even as this moves along, um, there's still going to be a lot of storing and shipping. Now, where I think I yeah. think we're going to see changes is I think we're going to be um, moving to more distributed manufacturing, where where goods are produced in lower quantity more often, closer to the point of consumption. Um, and that's going to be good economically. That's going to be good from a sustainability standpoint. Um, there's a lot of waste in the supply chain right now. And, and what this is going to, going to allow us to do is create a tighter coupling or a tighter, tighter fit between supply and demand. And, and I think that's really, really good. Um, but a lot of the supply chain today is built off there not being a very good fit between supply and demand, right? Um, so, right. right. So, so I think there's going to be some redundancy in the system because there's such a, a poor fit uh, between supply and demand that is going to be removed. Um, but and and I think you know you're starting you're going to see supply chains that are. Um, you know, for finished goods that are going to become shorter, but but again, it is it's going to be it's going to be gradual. It's uh, you know, it's not going to be a, a a wholesale change. And you know, even you know, I started talking about our service parts logistics network. Um, we I I still foresee in ten years that we're still going to have a thousand field stocking locations around the world will just be supplementing that service parts logistics service with this on-demand manufacturing service so that, you know, when a, uh, 
MRI machine is going out of service and some poor procurement manager has to decide how many parts they're going to uh, need to manufacture uh, before they destroy the molds and the uh, equipment to go to the new model. Um, you know, how, how much inventory that uh, he or she is going to need around the world. It's, it's typically a horrible guess because uh, their, mm -hmm. their phone calls only, their phone's only going to ring when uh, they don't, they run out of inventory. So by supplementing that with an on-demand manufacturing solution, maybe your, maybe your last time buy is, you know, only 25% of what you need. And so you're not, you're not burning cash in inventory uh, for just in case stock. And you're, you're, you're using this new technology um, of on-demand manufacturing, 3D printing uh, to fill that void. And, and that's what I'm talking about, you know, fitting the technology to the, to the business model. It's, it's not going to make sense in all, in, in all situations. Uh, but when you when you can when you can couple the business the business model the technology uh, and the purpose that's when the magic happens. Yeah, no, I I think that's uh, a, a few takeaways that that I got from that, and and I really appreciate is uh, this is not something that's a pure replacement. You're going to have still traditional uh, methods of, of of doing things, but where. Uh, additive also becomes very interesting is uh, there's so much waste when it comes to, to, to buffer stock and, and having MRO inventory in, in the industrial world yeah. um, that you're able to more efficiently smooth out. And, and that's quite powerful. Totally. That's right. All right. So, so, you know, as we wrap up here, you know, what, what's exciting you, you looking ahead, you're, you have the, the front seat, uh, into this this major trend that's not just a manufacturing trend. It's also a big supply chain trend, as we've covered. But over the next five to seven, maybe ten years, you know, what's exciting you? What are what are things that are that are coming up that maybe people are not paying attention to or, or talking about, but they really should? Yeah, I think the um, the, the thing that is exciting me the most um, is is this idea of mass personalization and mass customization. It's something that I, I didn't really grasp um, when, when I started looking at 3D printing and how it was going to impact the supply chain. Um, but when you, when you start thinking about the reality of, of producing for a market of one, that is so different than the supply chain of today where you're, you, you know, you're manufacturing, you know, thousands or millions of the same thing in massive manufacturing facilities in lower cost countries. And now you're talking about a distributed supply chain um, making customized goods for the, for the individual um, and how that's going to impact uh, not only how uh, the, the industrial supply chain, but how that's going to impact our lives, how it's going to improve lives um, is, is really interesting. And, and especially 
you know, in the, in the healthcare space. Um, when, you know, at, at some point I might need a new knee and I would love to have a 3d printed knee that is the exact fit for me, not a generic. And that, um, has uh, anti-inflammatory medication built into the 3D structure um, that uh, keeps inflammation down as I'm um, as I'm recovering from my knee surgery, and my life is better. And and that's what the real um, the, the real interesting part of 3D printing is actually not the technology; it is the material science. That is where, if you look at, and if you look at all of the, the big 3D printing manufacturers, they all have material scientists on staff. Uh, some of even like, if you look at Carbon 3D, the, uh, the CEO and founder is uh, one of the most noted material scientists uh, in the world. Um, that is really interesting to me, kind of all, how all of that uh, will develop in its um, it's really a privilege to be in the middle of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think, uh, you have this, this amazing, uh, perspective, uh, you, you have this body of knowledge and, and network from UPS and you continue to engage with, I think the, the, um, leading experts in, in additive. So, you know, really looking forward to, to continue to follow your, your thoughts, uh, as you continue to develop them. Uh, but you know, with that, really appreciate you spending time here uh, with us, and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully having you again uh, down the road for for an update and and seeing how your thinking continues to evolve as uh, the material scientists and all the service providers uh, in the ecosystem also continue to mature. Uh, but with that, you know, thanks a lot, Alan. Great having you. Hey, sounds good. Thank you so much uh, for having me on your program. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.